Today on Blue 58, the Packers are set to play the Arizona Cardinals under some of the strangest circumstances we have seen in some time. Do the Packers have a chance? And what would it take to actually win? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. It's another preview podcast already, and it's going to be a little bit different. This is not going to be a normal preview podcast for a couple reasons. First, this game is not normal, just in general. On top of everything else that's going on with the Packers this week, Thursday night football is inherently abnormal. And it's a little bit crazy. It's a lot crazy. Playing a game four days after you last played a game is nuts. And doing it after flying halfway across the country is even more so. If it has ever been unclear to you that the NFL is about making money and not about putting quality football on the field, Thursday night football alone should seal that for you. And games like this should make it even more clear. Secondly, we really don't know what the Packers are going to look like. Joe Barry is on the COVID list, but he could come back. Same for Devontae Adams. Alan Lazard, on the other hand, is on the list, but is not vaccinated, so he is out for certain. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, though who was on injured reserve, could potentially be on the way back. And David Bakhtiari, in theory, could play too. Long story short, we really don't know what we're getting from the Packers this week. There are a lot of moving parts, and as of this recording, we don't know where a lot of those parts are going to shake out. But also, the Cardinals are hurting. DeAndre Hopkins and J.J. Watt are both potentially in doubt for Thursday, so we don't really know what we're getting from a couple of their star players too. And then from a practical standpoint, a big part of these previews that we do every week is polling data, talking about our our weekly Twitter polls. Well, we're recording on a Tuesday night, a preview episode, which means that it hasn't been Wednesday yet, which is when we release these, the, the poll questions to get that data that we talk about. So we haven't had a chance to do that yet. So I can't really record it or talk about it when we record the preview podcast. So all of those factors leave us with a couple of options. We could try to preview this game as normal, which seems a little bit misguided for the reasons we've talked about above. Or we could try to make sense of what the Packers are going to look like and do. And where that fits within the overall scope of what it means for the Packers to even be playing this game. And I think that's the better option. Why do I think that's the better option? Because this game is really all about the Packers, and not necessarily in the way that you might think of immediately. Let me explain. I would like to start this explanation with a pop culture quote. If you haven't seen Marvel's Infinity War, this may not make a lot of sense to you. If you're worried about spoilers, well, the movie came out, what, two years ago now? Two and a half years ago now? It's been on streaming for a long time. We've been amidst a pandemic. If you haven't taken the chance to watch it by now, it's it's just on you. So minor spoilers here about the end of that movie, which is essentially the midpoint of two uh, much longer movie anyway. But anyway, uh, I'm rolling the dice here on the chance that you're going to have seen this movie. If not, don't worry about it a whole lot because we're going to explain anyway. Near the end of that movie, the good guys have lost. Uh, Things have gone poorly for the Avengers there, and they've lost in part because of a decision made by Doctor Strange, and Iron Man can't believe it. He asks him, why did you do that? And what does Doctor Strange say? Very short explanation. We're in the endgame now. We're in the endgame now. We're near the end of this scenario that we're in. I did what I did 
because I'm looking to set myself up for the end game. He's playing the longer game than Iron Man is. Tony Stark is short-sighted as a character. In fact, the entire MCU could really be called problems created by Tony Stark being short-sighted. There's an entirely different podcast in there that we could run down all the poor decisions that character makes and how it affects everybody around him in profoundly negative ways, and he never seems to learn from it, but I'm digressing here a little bit. But this idea of being in the end game is why I think this game is about the Packers, and really what about this game matters to the Packers, the end game. The Packers are in the end game, or rather, they need to be preparing for the end game conditions of their season. What do I mean by end game conditions? Well, there is a clear goal ahead for the Packers and really for every NFL team. They want to win the Super Bowl. And to win the Super Bowl, you got to be in the playoffs. There's only one way to the Super Bowl make the playoffs. And the Packers need to be positioning for the playoffs. I don't know if you've looked up recently, but we are almost halfway through the schedule already. I was looking at Pro Football Reference as we were preparing this episode. That schedule of results or of, you know, opponents and results for the Packers is already pretty well filled out. And the Packers need to be positioning for the playoffs, given that this season is nearly half over already. And we already know a lot about how that positioning is going to shake out. There are two key facts at play here. First, the Packers have a very difficult schedule the rest of the way. We've talked a lot about who they're going to face over the next month. There are some tough teams ahead. And secondly, just as one example among several in the NFC, the Buccaneers, also at 6-1, and one, have a very easy schedule ahead. This leads me to believe that it's going to be hard for the Packers to get the top seed in the NFC. That is obviously the optimal situation for them in the playoffs. But if they can't get that, what is the next most important thing? The next most important thing is kind of a twofold reality. First, making sure you get to the playoffs. And secondly, make sure you're in great shape when you get there. Point one is basically in hand for the Packers already. The easiest way to get to the playoffs is winning your division. And the Packers are currently winning their division pretty handily. They are 6-1, and one, and nobody else in the NFC North is above 500. Another NFC North title feels like a pretty safe bet at this point. So then point two, making sure you're in great shape when you get to the playoffs. What do we know about the Packers right now? They are beat to heck. Even if they weren't having problems with COVID, they'd be in rough shape. This is something we've talked about again and again and again and again over our time together over the last few weeks. The Packers are playing pretty shorthanded right now. But as we've also been saying for weeks, the point is not to be in great shape here in late October. The point is to peak later. The point is to be in peak condition in the playoffs. And being in peak condition is not about just about having people available. It's being able to utilize those pieces appropriately to get them in the right positions, to allow them to make the right plays, to be playing your best football with your best players at the most important time. That is what the Packers are working for, working toward, in hopes that they're going to be at their best when the playoffs roll around. So that brings us to this game. In light of those end game conditions, Dr. Strange says we're in the end game. What does that mean for us? In light of those conditions, what should the Packers do in this one? 
I don't think you ever really want to punt on a game, but let's be clear about something heading into this one. The Packers are behind the eight ball. They are shorthanded. And if they win, it's going to be because they pulled off an upset. That doesn't mean that losing is a given or that we should be fine with losing. But if the Packers do lose, maybe don't feel too bad about it because the Packers are not working to win games here in late October. The Packers are looking to basically to this point, stack as many wins as they can, but ultimately position themselves so they are healthy and playing their best football when the playoffs roll around, regardless of what their seed may be. So don't necessarily worry about the Packers winning this game, but look at it as part of the overall positioning strategy for playing their best football in the playoffs. But that's not to say this game is unwinnable. It is. It is a winnable game. The Packers have a chance at winning this game. So let's talk about this game in particular. And it is going to be a weird one. You're going to have some weird or unusual players playing some big roles. And the Packers have a weird relationship with the opposing team in this one too. Let's talk about that second point first. The Packers and Cardinals almost always play weird games together. Let's remember some Packers and Cardinals games. The last time we saw the Cardinals, it was a rainy, cold day at Lambeau Field. And Mike McCarthy walked off the field as the head coach of the Green Bay Packers for the first time. Arizona upset the Packers in Green Bay. That was it for Mike McCarthy. The time before that was something you've probably heard about a lot this week, the 2015 playoffs. You had Jeff Janis catching a couple of Hail Mary-type passes from Aaron Rodgers as Rodgers led a comeback with Janis and Jared Aberderis, and then, well, he never got a chance to touch the ball in overtime as the Cardinals win 26-20 to in overtime. The time before that was the Cardinals working over the Packers in the 2015 regular season, another game that was made weirder by injury, Josh Sitton started at left tackle that day, turned out to have not been a good idea. Cardinals win 38-8. Then, these two teams played a relatively normal game in 2012. I say relatively because it's really only relatively normal compared to other Packers-Cardinals games. 31-17 Packers win that day. Still pretty weird, though. Aaron Rodgers only completes 14 passes but throws four touchdown passes. Only... Just over 200 passing yards, though, and about a third of his passing yards came on a 72-yard touchdown to Tom Crabtree late in the game. Strange. And then the time before that, so we are, what, five Cardinals games deep at this point? There was the 51-45 playoff showdown that ended with the Aaron Rodgers strip sack, face mask, no call. A game the Packers could have won on virtually the preceding play, had Aaron Rodgers not slightly overthrown Greg Jennings. But that is a discussion for a different day. Point is, though, that they tend to have weird games, and this is another weird one. But returning to our first point there, you're going to have some unusual players in unusual roles. We should talk about the Packers, since, as I said at the top, this game is all about the Packers. Let's talk about the Packers, especially the ones that are in a bit of a different position than usual. First of those players is not a player, it's a coach. It's Jerry Gray. Because if Joe Barry doesn't go as the defensive coordinator, Jerry Gray is probably getting the call sheet. He's probably going to be the one running the defense. 
Currently, he's the Packers defensive backs coach and passing game coordinator, but you may know, since we've mentioned it multiple times on this year's podcast, that he is a former defensive coordinator. He has coordinated a top 10 scoring defense three times in his career. He's currently a holdover from Mike Pettin. But he's probably as good a one-game defensive coordinator candidate as you're going to get. He'll have all the I's dotted and T's crossed if he is indeed called upon to coordinate the Packers' defense on Thursday. Interesting. Interesting that he's going to get a crack at this, and interesting that somebody who actually interviewed for the defensive coordinator position, or was at least considered, is actually going to get a chance to, well, coordinate the defense. Secondly, we should talk about the Packers receivers. And this is where the parallels to that 2015 game actually do get kind of funny. Because you look at the top guy this year, who was out because of a pandemic, you've got Devontae Adams. But the top guy that year was Jordy Nelson, who was out because of an ACL tear. There was a number two receiver back in 2015 who was banged up then, and it was, surprise, surprise, Devontae Adams. He had a rough 2015, was coming on a little bit down the stretch, and then hurt his ankle in the wild card round and didn't end up playing against the Cardinals in the divisional round. The number two guy now who's a bit banged up? Well, Marquez Valdez-Scantling. You know the deal there. Hamstring issues, and if it was up to me, I probably would hold him out of this game because, speaking about the end game, having your best deep threat healthy for the playoffs is a heck of a lot more important than having him healthy for a random Thursday night game in October. 2015, we saw a reliable veteran who had to step up to the plate. That was James Jones, whose 2015 season should be absolutely legendary. Returning to the Packers out of the blue, 50 catches, 890 yards, and 8 touchdowns, averaging 17.8 yards per catch. The best mark of his career at age 31. I actually wondered how many people have had the best yards per catch number of their career at age 31. I wasn't really able to find a a hard and fast number there, but I did find that only eight players in NFL history have averaged 17.8 yards per catch or better in a season on 50 or more catches in the history of the league. A couple of guys have done it multiple times, but James Jones is really the only person to do it recently. He's one of only two players, including Terry Glenn, when he was with the Dallas Cowboys, to do it in the 21st century. Pretty rare air there, Mr. Hoodie. What about the reliable veteran who's going to have to step up now, then? That's Randall Cobb. And that's a hilarious twist because he was a fairly young gun back in 2015, and he was knocked out of that 2015 game with a an injury caused by a mic pack slamming into his ribs during that game because he was supposed to be mic'd up for that game and was and was injured as a result. What about role players playing big roles back then? Well, you had Jeff Janis and Jared Aberderis. Going to throw one more name in there for you at tight end, Justin Perillo. Remember big old number 80? Well, you do now. What about now? We've got some role players who are going to be playing some bigger roles. Who are those guys? It was a long way of getting there, but this is what I really wanted to talk about in this segment of the podcast. Some role players are going to be playing some bigger roles. What do we make of those guys, and who are they? First, we've got to talk about Equinemia St. Brown. I think he's been playing really solid football lately. He's probably the second wide receiver for the Packers if Marquez Valdez-Scantling cannot go. He'll be one of the two starters with Cobb, and it's going to be a big step up for him because although he has been playing pretty well recently, he's only been playing barely into the double-digit snaps each of the last four weeks. Now, that is a fairly decent 
chunk of snaps for a guy who has been basically a role player to this point in the season. I wish he hadn't been robbed of that touchdown catch against the Bears, but you know, other than that and other than the end around that he ran this past week, it's been pretty small. It's a small role for Equinemia St. Brown. So can he elevate when the Packers need him? Speaking of elevations, we got to talk about Amari Rogers potentially elevating his game here too, because he's going to have opportunities this week, the likes of which he hasn't really seen so far this year. He's been in the single digits and snaps every week since week one. 15 he played in week one and has never cracked above uh, above 10, well, into double digits uh, since then. It's time to see what he can do. Because if not now, when? If you're not going to get Amari Rogers involved in the offense in a week where you barely have any healthy receivers, when is it going to happen in his rookie year? It's time to get creative and get him into a bigger role. He's probably, just as a matter of practicality, going to need to take some of the jet sweep snaps that would normally go to Aaron Jones, because Jones is going to be busy today, and we'll explain why here in a second. The third receiver who's going to be playing a bigger role this week is Malik Taylor. He himself is coming just now back from the COVID-19 reserve list, but unfortunately there's really no easing him back into the lineup because the Packers need him on special teams and on offense. No worries, you say. Malik Taylor has done it before on offense. The Packers have turned to him before to play a significant number of snaps there. Yes, that is true. However, He's never really produced, even in a fairly big role in the past. He has never had more than two catches in an NFL game. And the only time he's ever been targeted with more than two passes in an NFL game was in week one of this year. He had three targets. But the Packers need him because outside of Marquez Valdez-Scantling, he's their only real player who can be considered a deep threat. And he might get a couple of deep shots in this game. You never know. Finally, Jawan Winfrey. The Packers like him a lot, and I think it's easy to see why. Another big-bodied guy. Look, hey, time to get a shot. Here's a written invitation. Make us proud. You're probably not going to get a better one-game shot at making an impact than this, Jawan Winfrey. So make an impact. So we've talked about Jerry Gray. We've talked about the Packers receivers stepping up in an unfortunate situation. Who else needs to step up? How about Matt LaFleur? Now, shouldn't this be the running backs I can hear you saying? Yes, but actually no. Here's why. I think this is a great chance to see what Matt LaFleur can do with some insane adversity. The Packers, as we've well established, I think by now, are going to be playing with one hand behind their back. But that happens to everybody now and then. What do you do with it is the more interesting question. Now, the Packers and LaFleur could just shut everybody down and punt on this game. You start Aaron Rodgers, but the second it gets a little bit out of hand, you say, ah, sit down, we'll get Jordan Love some reps. You know, we treat this as preseason game number five. I don't think Matt LaFleur is going to do that. He shouldn't, because as we've said, this is still a winnable game. But he is facing the question of how does he win it? And that is the question facing LaFleur. How do you try to win this game, even if you understand that no matter what you try, the odds are long that you're going to be able to do it? I think I have an answer for you. The simple answer is run the ball. But the why behind running the ball is important. First, the basics as to why you would want to consider running the ball a lot. First, 
Practically, you don't have a lot of receivers. It's going to be hard for you to throw the ball. But on top of that, Arizona is real bad at stopping the run. They're giving up five yards per carry so far this year. That is second worst in the league. And it's part of the reason that their defense is giving up a score on 29% of the drives they face. That is the worst figure in the league. That is reason enough to run, but it's not the only reason. I think the more important reason is that the Packers should want to shorten this game. It's going to be like a slow-motion shootout, I think, in a lot of ways. You've got to make it so the Cardinals have to score on every possession. Control the game, get into the end zone, and make sure the Cardinals know that they're going to have to put up points every time they have the ball because they're not going to have the ball a whole lot. Here's how Lafleur accomplishes that. First, I think you get crazy exotic in the run game. Every weird trick you've ever wanted to try, every weird thing that you've got in your back pocket that you haven't broken out until now, now is the time. End arounds, reverse, zone reads, exotic pulls and blocking schemes. Do whatever you can to make sure that Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon have room to pound away at the defense because you know the Cardinals know that the Packers have no receivers too. So if they're going to key against anything, it's going to be against the run. Get as exotic as you need to to make sure your running backs can still operate. Secondly, though, don't forget about the passing game and don't assume that your passing game is just going to do nothing just because your receivers are, well, suboptimal here. The Packers need to use their passing game creatively to move the chains when they have to. I think there's something the Packers still have going for them, even with a reduced lineup in their wide receiver room. All the Packers available at receiver still have unique skills. Randall Cobb, well, he's Randall Cobb. If anybody in this receiving group has Aaron Rodgers' trust, it is Cobb. And that counts for something. On top of that, you've got Equinemius St. Brown, who in a lot of ways is like a light version of Alan Lazard. Amari Rodgers, similarly, is the Randall Cobb light wide receiver. And Malik Taylor is like the off-brand version of Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Continuing that theme, Jawan Winfrey is like the store-brand version of Alan Lazard. These are some unique skills. You've got big guys, small guys, guys that can move, guys that can block. It's not a murderer's row, but it can do the trick if you get creative enough. And I think Lafleur is the guy who can get creative enough to utilize those guys. And if he can do that, the Packers have a shot. I wouldn't bet on them to win, and I think the Cardinals probably still will win, but it's enough to make you think. My pick is the Cardinals, mostly because I don't really know what the Packers are going to be putting on the field this week, and I think nobody is really going to begrudge me that. But, but, I still wouldn't bet against the Packers either. Sure, pick the Cardinals to win, But that doesn't mean the Packers have no chance. There is a chance here. There is a path to victory. And that path to victory relies, depends, is solely focused on what Lafleur can do to take this game away from the Cardinals and put it in the Packers' hands. It can be done. Whether or not they will, that is the question but it's going to make for an entertaining Thursday night football game. Even if the overall product on the field is not all that great. Even if it's not great, it's not going to be boring.
That's all I've got for you on this episode. If you enjoyed this preview, I really would appreciate it if you'd share it with somebody else who you think would enjoy it as well. It's going to get more people involved with the show. going to get more people listening. It's going to get more people involved in this conversation we're having about the Packers as you give your feedback and share your thoughts as well. And doing that ultimately is going to help everybody, me included, become a smarter Packers fan. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.